Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today. Our special guest is Wes Woodhouse. Let me tell you a little bit about Wes. Wes Woodhouse is a husband, a father, a marathon runner, an F-15 fighter pilot, specifically an F-15E Strike Eagle fighter pilot with the U.S. Air Force. His mission is to build up the next generation of leaders armed to take on the dynamic challenges of the attention age. And I love that. In 2020, he founded Vector Atlas a leadership development and attention cultivation agency where he leads a mastermind of committed men grounded in wise counsel and accountability, striving to live a life of purpose. As an attention performance coach, and we'll get more into that here in this interview, he helps leaders maximize their potential by focusing on what is most important. Wes, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. You ready for this? Yes, I am, Alan. Let's let's do this. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for taking your time to hop on and talk a little bit about your story, your experience, and even specifically this idea of attention. And so we look forward to get into that. But I've given our audience just a brief overview of who you are. My first fighter pilot I've ever interviewed on the show. And uh, (laughs) looking forward to this. But just, just give our audience just a little bit more depth to kind of your story, Wes, if you would, kind of in, in high-speed fashion. Just spend a couple of minutes just sharing, bringing them up to speed on how you got to be a fighter pilot, how you got to found this business in 2020, and, and got into this whole idea of the attention age and helping people with that. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's high-speed with me, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it is now sometimes when I get to fly, which is usually a highlight of my day. I was born in Chicago area, Illinois, in the suburbs of Chicago, born to a family, a believing family, which is a blessing. So grew up going to church, all of my siblings, we were always very involved. We went to a church plant, so setting up and tearing down before and after the service, which was great. And I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, it was a really good experience to do work like that every week in a kind of service capacity. When we, we did a lot of vacations, and one year we, we went on vacation to Colorado, Colorado Springs and visited the Air Force Academy, I'd always wanted to fly airplanes, but that was the first time I put kind of two and two together of the military and flying airplanes, and the military would be a great way to, to go and, and do that. So this was eighth grade. So in eighth grade, I decided I'm going to be a fighter pilot, which, you know, a lot of kids have that same exact dream. So it wasn't exactly unique in that perspective. But the timing, I think, was great because eighth grade, I had all of high school ahead of me. And so all I had to do was figure out exactly how to get there, how to reach my goal. Everything that I did was pointed towards that goal, whether it was grades or the way that I played sports and took on leadership roles in in school and extracurriculars and everything like that. And eventually made it into college on an ROTC scholarship. So went to Michigan Tech. We I studied mechanical engineering there, which I loved, and then did ROTC the whole entire time in order to earn my commission in the Air Force. And the big thing that I learned about becoming a pilot in the Air Force, it's highly competitive. And the biggest thing they look at are the grades, which it's tough in this world to focus on your grades to the point where you're, you are 
performing better than a majority of your peers, which I needed because I needed to have a chance at getting selected for pilot training to go fly. Uh, eventually, got picked up for pilot training. I married my wife, Kate, just over 10 years ago during our last year of college and then went on to the Air Force from there. Did a couple of years of pilot training. And then again, to become a fighter pilot, had to be top of my class there. So pretty stiff competition. And it's the type of thing where a lot of the people who are in pilot training have that fighter cockpit that they want to get into. And only about 10% or so get to fly fighters out of pilot training, maybe a little bit more. So again, highly competitive. I, again, was blessed that I, that I was able to earn a, a spot flying a fighter jet. So I've been flying F-15 since 2016. Uh, I got to deploy once, have flown a couple hundred hours in combat. And then I was actually deployed during COVID. So you talked about Vector Atlas and, and founding that in 2020, the year of COVID. There's lots of businesses that I know of that founded in, in that couple of that time frame right after COVID. But I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was like, I had just actually recently joined the ISI Mastermind. And I was telling him, I was like, man, you, you got to get into a into a mastermind because it it is. I mean, every successful person that I've that I've seen, every successful person that I read a biography of, they all had a group. I mean, Benjamin Franklin's Junto group, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien's uh, the Inklings group. It's those groups that those men would attribute to their success, a big portion of their success. And I was like, man, you got to get in. He's like, dude, let's just let's just do it together. So we started up the Mastermind group, and that's been growing ever since, and it's been fantastic. And then. I've gotten to coach a couple of guys as well, and it's been great. I, I, I'm looking forward to what the, what the future has in store for me, as well as my generation, who are the future leaders of the church, the families, and the country. So, I love that, Wes. And for those that are not watching this on our YouTube channel on video, Life's Hard, Succeed Anyway YouTube channel, I might be watching it, listening, excuse me, on any one of the other podcast apps and can't see you. You talk about your generation, which is what is your age? Maybe give our listeners your age just to set the context. You're in the your 30s, right? Yeah, I'm 32. 32. Okay, yeah. great. And by the way, Vector Atlas, how did you come up with that name? And what's the meaning behind that name for your company that you founded in that's, 2020? That's a great question. And I don't I don't talk about the origin of it very much, but so the vector in the fighter cockpit, we have what's called a heads-up display that has all of the, it displays a lot of my flight information, just general flying of the airplane information, as well as a lot of tactical information, targeting, it shows the line of sight of my radar target. And so I can kind of look through the HUD and try and find the physical airplane that my radar is locked onto. In the HUD, and this is true of any aircraft cockpit that has a HUD to include a lot of the airliners these days have heads up displays, a HUD is a heads up display. There's what's called a flight path vector. And it's a, in, at least in the F-15, it's a circle with a couple of dashes on it that kind of look like if you're looking at an airplane from the tail, because it's got a little tick for essentially the, the rudder, and then it's got two ticks for essentially the wings. But wherever I point that flight path vector is where the airplane is going. It's a visual depiction of where the aircraft is going. So Love if it. I point the flight path vector at a certain point, which a uh, good example is on landing, when I'm coming in to land, I place that flight path vector on the threshold of the runway because that's essentially where I want to have my airplane when we get to that point. So I put the flight path vector on the threshold of the runway. And then as long as I keep the flight path vector right there on the threshold of the runway, if I, if I weren't to do anything, 
the airplane would hit the threshold of the runway. Of obviously, you know, you flare and then you touch down on the runway. But so vector, vector also in math, I'm I'm an engineer. A vector is an entity that has a location, a 2D or 3D location, and a direction. So you know where the vector is, and you also know where the vector is going. And for the purposes of the type of business that I that I had of, you know, for me personally, as well as for the guys in my mastermind group, as well as the people that I coach, you need to figure out where you are. And you need to know where you're going. Because if you don't know where you're going, then you can, what is it in Alice in Wonderland, Chester the cat or whoever it was said, well, if and you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't really matter which way you go. So that's important. And then Atlas, my wife actually came up with that Atlas, just, you know, the scope of the possibilities is kind of where that name came from. I love it. I love it. That's good stuff. Yeah. There's a reason why, you know, GPS, like you said, shows you where you got to know where you're at and where yep. you're going. Yes. There's a reason why the yep. GPS, like in our maps that we use for our car, shows you not only where you're going, but it shows you where you are and, yep. and the route in between. But anyway, that's interesting. So I just got to ask, I mean, you probably get asked this all the time, but like the whole Top Gun, Maverick thing, that's just all movies, right? We know that. But you're the real deal. I mean, is there any... I mean, I was a police officer for, you know, six years. And so I see police stuff and it's like, yeah, there's some reality in that in Hollywood. And there's a lot that's probably not. Mm. Is it that way when you watch a, a movie like that? I mean, is there some, do they get in much of it right as far as what it's like to be a fighter pilot? They actually, for Top Gun Maverick specifically, they did, Tom Cruise spent a lot of time making sure that a lot of that was very real. And the cool thing about that movie specifically is Every single scene that you see in the movie of the actors flying are actually shot in the air in a fighter jet. Oh, wow. That, that is not the case for the original Top Gun. Most of the, if not all, I don't actually know, of the in-cockpit footage is of them just sitting in a cockpit in a hangar somewhere. But for Top Gun Maverick specifically, all of the flying that you see was actually flying in the air. And so from that perspective, yes, it is very real because they're literally up there flying in a fighter right. jet, you know, pulling G's, doing all that, all that type of stuff. My squadron, when Maverick came out, we rented a, uh, a movie theater. And so we all went there and watched it together in like a private viewing and everything. And it's kind of funny because you, you see some stuff and you're like, ah, oh, that, that we would never do that or yeah. that's a really dumb idea. But largely for Top Gun Maverick specifically, it is a lot closer to reality than most of the other movies that you see that have fighter jets in it. So, so from that perspective, it's pretty cool. And it is genuinely a good movie to watch. I, yeah. I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, what a great one. Well, first of all, I should have probably said this much earlier, but thank you again for your service and behalf mm-hmm. of myself and all the listeners of the podcast. I just can't thank you enough for what you and your comrade in arms do to, to protect us. And congratulations on your success. I mean, you know, when we met, we met at, as you know, a couple months ago in October, mm-hmm. we met mm-hmm. at the Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind, which we're both a part of. Mm-hmm. That's separate from the mastermind that you run for your Vector Atlas company that I'm not a part of. But anyway, I remember asking you about the whole process and how tough it is, obviously, to become a pilot in the Air Force. But then I didn't even realize that only 10% of pilots, as you mm-hmm. just said, get to fly a fighter jet, right? Mm-hmm. The other 90% are flying. I asked you, you know, what do they fly? Cargo and all the other winged or mm-hmm. propeller driven aircraft or whatever, helicopters and all the stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. What what would you say? You're obviously a successful guy driven. I mean, you run marathons. I mean, what don't you do, man? Right. <laughs> At high <laughs> levels. What would you say has been one of the keys to your success, Wes? Just in general. 
I think a big part of it has been having a defining a goal. And, and the really easy example is wanting to become a fighter pilot. I had a, I had a specific goal and I directed, it's hard to put a number on it, but well more than half of my energies at any given point throughout the, the journey of high school through college. So four years of high school, four years of college, two years of pilot training was solely focused on becoming a fighter pilot and doing what I needed to do, which primarily was putting in the work, putting in the reps of studying and getting those good grades, one assignment at a time, one test at a time. It took a lot of tactical level work to get there, volunteering for things like leading up student organizations and getting a a bit of leadership experience and going above and beyond and going to the and during pilot training and and the B course, the the basic course where we learned how to fly that the F-15, got basic qualified in the F-15, having, you know, study parties in the couple days prior to a test where you help your bros out and you help them succeed. And in doing so, you're helping yourself succeed as well. But yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I would I would say is just that slog of and it and it applies to running marathons too. It applies to really everything, but uh, you know, I've been on a lot of long runs where I'm like, man, I'm not feeling it today. Just get to the next next fence post. Just get to the next light pole, whatever it is. Yeah. Put you know one step at a time. You can you can run a marathon. Which again, for a marathon, great example is you're not starting out. I'm not just going to go out there and run a marathon. Put one step in front of the other. I wouldn't make it. There's a lot of training that goes into that. So one step at a time over the course of months of training to get you to the point where right. you can do something like a marathon or you can do something like become a fighter pilot or you can do something like build up a company, whatever it is. But yeah, just it sucks (laughs) and you got to put in the reps, but that's what will pay off. And it doesn't always seem like it at the time, but looking back at the experiences that I had to go through in the case of the military training is designed because if you, if you don't get through the intro level challenges, then you won't be able to succeed at the advanced level challenges either. I love it. What's your best marathon time? Out of curiosity, was actually my first marathon, three hours and twenty four minutes. Oh man, that's I've fast. Not, I've come semi close, but I haven't. I've never been within ten minutes of that time. So that was that was a pretty solid time. That's fast. That's fast. Are all pilots as shredded as you? I don't think you have a ounce of extra body fat on. Are most <laughs> most pilots like that, or are you the exception? I I would say most pilots are fit. Definitely. There are some who are like, "How? Are you, what are you doing with your life?" <laughs> and then, uh, but I would say, I would say most most guys are are pretty aware of how they need to train their body in order to be successful in the uh, specific. And I'm specifically talking about the the fighter community because it is a little yeah. bit more physically challenging than flying most of their airplanes. But yeah, most yeah. people take care of their bodies pretty pretty well because we have to, and and it pays off to to put in the works so that you're not right. hurting later. <laughs> How fast are those things going? And what is the most that, challenging physically to the job itself? I mean, we're going fast. The, all of the fighters can go supersonic. The physically challenging is probably basic fighter maneuvers, which is dogfighting. That's what we call dogfighting, where you are having short little fights. They only last for a couple minutes, but you're pulling five plus Gs nearly the entire time. And you're turning around and looking at trying to find the bandit behind you while you're pulling G's and you're trying to, you know, physically fly a good airplane because so you're not bleeding unnecessary energy and you're optimizing where you are in space in relation to your bandit while not losing sight of them. They say lose sight, lose the fight. 
And so if you lose sight of your opponent and he knows where you are, then again, going back to the vector conversation, you don't know where to put your airplane to kill your, your opponent and he knows right. where you are. So he's probably going to get you. That's, the uh, that's, that's one of the more physically challenging things that we do is, is high G's and, you know, a lot of maneuvering, a lot of decision making too. It's not just physical. It is a lot of mental decision making, trying to kind of like chess, you know, you're, you see what the, the move that your opponent makes. And now you have to decide, do I do this move or do, do I do another move? What, you know, what's going to be best right now and what's going to be best, you know, 30 seconds from now. So I love it. Sweat, um, sweat dripping down into your eyes, so now you can't see anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, let's 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 shift gears here a little bit and talk about this whole idea of the attention. What do you call mm-hmm. it? Attention economy. You don't call I, it the attention economy, but I th- well, we are in an attention economy, but I, I think we have left the information age, and we are now living in the attention age. And how do I define that? So in the industrial age what was valuable. The value was in the ability to mass produce widgets for as low of a cost to the company as possible and to be able to sell them. But the more widgets you made, the better you were. So you hired people to insert widget into the machine. The machine does its thing, take widget out, put it into a a box to go send to the store or whatever. The value was in the industry, the the widgets that you were making. Then we transitioned into the information age or the, the computer age where... The value was in the creation, curation, storage, and sale of information. And that's what computers really brought about a, an ability to do on a, on a mass-produced scale. And so that's why we had companies like Apple and Google and Facebook, because those companies either produce the machines that information is created, curated, stored, sold on, or in the case of Google, it brought about the way to actually go about the advertising and the sale. And what Google has done really, really well, Facebook as well, over the years is figure out how to package up and then sell human attention. And so that's kind of what started the process of moving into the attention age. And then now with all the AI stuff, ChatGPT, all, all the other AI that's coming out, it's even more so making the attention of a human that, you know, as humans, God created us specifically. I don't think humans are ever going to be able to create something that's better than a human. And so he created us in a very unique way and our unique abilities. Anybody and any computer can count to 10 and and do basic, basic math. Right. You can train a computer to count up to 10. What you can't train a, a computer to do is to figure out how to use that ability in order to make human life better. And so we are always going to need our unique human abilities. Like for example, a car, a, you know, Tesla or, or any of the other companies build an autonomous car that can arguably drive the streets safer than the average human because it's taking into, into its calculus so many things that human drivers are not like right. noticing that flags are flying in a certain direction. So there's wind and then there's a biker over here. And the and when the biker gets past this building, the wind's going to push the biker into my lane or, you know, seeing the the traffic cones and, and making all sorts of decisions like that, that we could, I mean, a lot of those we are subconsciously, our brains are taking in that information and we're sometimes doing, you know, making decisions based on that. But the, the vehicle, the, the autonomous vehicles are 
are actively doing that all the time at a capacity where you know we just can't take in that much information and distill and, it in order to make a, yeah. a decision. And we can't have eight eyes around exactly. our right. head exactly. like my Tesla does. <laughs> but we can design systems that do that. And humans are the ones who designed the system to do that. Humans right. are the ones that, does, I mean, Henry Ford, he got a lot of flack because he was not as educated as most other people who were his peers. And his answer was, why do I need to know that information? Why do I need to have that information memorized when I can just call my assistant and say, hey, assistant, go find that information. And the assistant then comes back. And that whole time that the assistant was going to acquire that information, Henry Ford was sitting there imagining what the next car should be like. And so he's multiplying yeah. his, his capabilities. That's the attention age because we're in a bigger battle for our attention than we've ever been up to this point. And I think that's only going to increase. And at the same time, the big companies and the families and the kids need our attention to them more than ever. And that is yeah. what is in jeopardy. And so that is why it's the attention age. And that's why it's so important to focus on and to be intentional about where we are placing our attention. I love it. And yeah, it, that's such a great point that you bring out because attention is everything. I mean, you can just look at even like you can take social media and from live videos and long form mm -hmm. videos to now short form videos. Yes. And even the short form videos, I mean, the average, I was reading some statistic recently that if the short form video can't capture somebody's attention within 2.7 seconds, they're gone. It was 3.2 seconds like a year ago. And then I was reading a few months ago. It's a little outdated now, probably. It was like 2.7 seconds. Like our attention is, if you can't grab someone's attention quick, you've lost them. Mm -hmm. And so, but I love the point you just brought out. It's like in a time when we are more distracted potentially than ever, mm -hmm. when there's more things pulling at our attention than ever, our children, our marriages, the most meaningful relationships in our lives need us as much as ever, right? <laughs> more than ever, maybe. Yeah. So from your perspective, like what is the solution or a solution or like what is your passion in this whole space? How are you intending to help these men or, or whoever that you're our listeners today with this situation that we're in? I think a big piece of it is just being aware and starting to be aware about what ways you are allowing your attention to flow somewhere that you don't want, but it's still happening. For example, and I am as much guilty of this as anybody, but you know, you get home from work, you sit down on the couch, and my daughters come up to me and they're like, Daddy, come play horse on the floor with us or you know, read me a book. And my body, my tired body and my tired mind from spending all day at work and making decisions and whatever wants to just sit there on the couch and maybe scroll or maybe just watch a TV show or whatever, or even you know something good like listening to a podcast like right here, which, which is good stuff, but it's still, it's taking our attention potentially away from somebody or something that needs our attention more. And it happens, I mean, the experts and the really, really smart people at Google and the really, really smart people at Facebook and all those places, they pay millions of dollars every year to figure out how can we grab people's attention even better tomorrow than we did yesterday? And so we are up against a major, um, I mean, it's it's the one-sided battle. It's, you know, it's me and my my attention against millions and billions of dollars worth of study and professionals and and people whose sole job is to is to 
take hold of my attention and use it. At the end of the day, when I wake up the next morning, and am I going to remember whatever I scrolled on Instagram? Or would I remember getting on the floor with my, with my daughters and having the time of our lives and watching them have the time of their lives playing with their dad on the floor or reading a book? I guarantee you the kids are going to remember that and you're going to remember that better than, you know, whatever trash you were scrolling on, on Instagram or, or whatever your death scroll app of choice is. YouTube is a, is a big one for me. That I, I think is kind of the, is what it comes down to. We have a hard time in the moment differentiating what is the most important thing that we need to put our attention towards versus what is the default easy thing that our attention just naturally flows to. Yeah, that's so good. And like you said, none of us are immune from it. And it's something we need to constantly be aware of because millions of dollars are being spent to capture our attention. And I remember somebody telling me years ago, really long before this whole attention age, many years ago, probably 25 years ago, he told me, he goes, hey, why would you want to watch, you know, in the context of like watching TV, this was before social media or movies or whatever, like, why would you want to watch other people live their dreams instead of going out and creating your own? And I'll never forget that because it hit me and I'm like, yeah, not that I'll never watch a TV show or a movie. I mean, I think I've watched probably two movies in this calendar year and it's about up, you know, the year's about over. We're 11 months through it or whatever, but 12 months actually, I guess almost. Anyway, but it's like, yeah, I want to do things that are meaningful. I want to do things that matter. I want to do things that have significance and impact and help people. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be distracted by things that aren't in alignment with my goals and dreams and desires and ultimately what God's called me to do. So if I understand you right, Wes, I mean, I think you're just saying there is no, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is no certain strategy or silver bullet or or technique, if you will, other than just being aware of it, uh, being aware of it is is the biggest maybe win and, and to help protect ourselves against getting distracted or is there more? That is the first step is being aware because what gets tracked gets improved. And so if you're not even tracking the fact that you're making decisions or you're even just going with the default instead of consciously making the decision to put your attention to whatever's important, whether it's work or the family, or your walk with God, whichever one it is. So being aware with it, aware of it is number one. But the next one is, I think, in again, in the attention age, it's in order to protect our attention and make sure that it is going towards what we want to be going towards, creating systems and creating the environment that supports putting your attention in the right spot. So you mentioned movies. It sounds like you have probably put into place some sort of system that prevents you from making a default decision of watching a movie or TV when there's something else that you should probably be spending your attention on. My wife and I this year actually have done something similar. We made a rule that we would each hold each other accountable on because it was for the two of us, not just, you know, a personal rule. And I think accountability is a huge part because without accountability, then you make an exception to the rule once. And then all of a sudden the rule isn't even a thing anymore. But we made a rule that we can only watch TV or movie or any type of, you know, sit on the couch, kind of watch it thing on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Outside of that, no TV, no, no shows, no nothing. At first it was tough to do, but then after that it was like, man, we, you know, we, wow, we were watching a lot of TV that 
we don't even like now I, I don't even feel like I want to, you know, there's so many other things that are better to deepen our relationship, our marriage relationship that we can do other than just sitting next to each other with our attention on something else. So setting up systems, systems in an environment, and it can be, I mean, one, a very tactical solution also is notifications on your, on your phone, push notifications on your phone and on your mm. computer. The only things that push notifications to my, to the top bar of my phone are text messages and then a couple other very specifically and intentionally decided on apps. The rest of my apps aren't like email. I never know when I have a new email. I have to physically open up the email app or open it on my computer to know if I have a new email. And what does that do? It means that every time I get sent an email, I am not notified of it. Therefore, getting sent to my phone, therefore, seeing the myriad of other distractions, therefore, we've all done it. We've gone down the rabbit hole and then you put your phone down 20 minutes later and you're like, ah, shoot, I was supposed to you know, look at that email or, or whatever it was. And the only thing that makes my, my cell phone make a physical or an audible sound or movement is a phone call. Everything else does not. So if it's sitting in my, in my pocket, I will not know it until I take out my phone and open it and unlock it. And I think that's huge because you know, there's tons of stats about you, you open up, you unlock your phone, you know, 50 to 70 times a day and, you know, viewing. Yeah, I've heard 150. Yeah, I've heard 150, there's all sorts actually. of stats out there. It's, yeah. it's tough to know which, and, yeah. and for everybody it's different, but the more yeah. notifications you have, the more you're going to do that, the less notifications that you have, the less you're going to do that. And what does that mean? That means when I'm sitting at a restaurant across from my wife, or I'm you know standing talking to a friend of mine, and somebody shoots me a text message, which is lower priority because they're not the ones that are directly right. in front of me face to face. And 100%. if it's an emergency, they should probably be calling you anyway and not emailing you and not texting you. But I will not be distracted and I can maintain my 100% focus on the person at hand. I can, my attention is not going to be hindered in that moment, whether it's talking, having a conversation with somebody, or whether it's doing the work for your job, or whether that's rolling around on the floor with your kids. Yeah. So yeah, a couple, that's so good. couple different things that we can no, do. No, that's really good, Wes. And interestingly enough, I finally got to the point where I, like you, I've got all my notifications off, that's at great. least the sound of all my notifications off. For the most part, all my notifications off, except for a phone call. And then I set up the phone call so that when I put it in, do not disturb, it won't even ring except for the members of my own household, which then I realized doing these podcasts, that's a problem. Because they call and that phone rings even on Do Not Disturb right in the middle of a a live interview or whatever we're doing here. But same thing, it's been a game changer. And I was reading some, uh, speaking of statistics, I was just reading an article, some research actually the other day, maybe three, four months ago. And it was talking about, it was 20 something minutes. I don't know if it was 23 or 27, but the point is over 20 minutes is statistically what this study found in lost production for every Mm -hmm. interruption when we're in the zone. So if we want to be productive, whatever that productive is that takes any kind of, which most things do, mm-hmm. take some kind of attention and getting in that state of you're into, you know, your mm-hmm. thoughts are into what, you know, people call it in, in the flow state or whatever, but you're in it. And that one distraction of a question, a notification, a this, mm-hmm. a that, and then to get back to the same level of productivity it's not like you don't go right back to doing something. Right. 20 something minutes lost. And then you start multiplying that by all the distractions that you can just simply silence on your phone. And I love what you said. It's not an emergency that people email or text about. Yeah. If they do, 
I've just, I've never had it. Like you don't text mm-hmm. or email about an emergency. Mm-hmm. You pick up the phone and call if it's truly an emergency. And right. most of those aren't emergencies anyway. Right. So that's good. I don't have anything around movies. I, I think for movies, what we did was we just kind of filled our lives with so much vision and purpose and meaningful things that the movies just lost a little bit right. of their yeah. priority. It's like, okay, go spend two hours to watch a movie that I personally, I'm not going to really remember. I mean, a Maverick yeah. or you know, Top Gun. Yeah. I, I remember some scenes from it because it was such a phenomenal movie, mm-hmm. but I don't even remember much of that. You know, it's mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, it's just, that was two hours spent. So that's just our, our thing. But, um, that's when it comes to like social that. media, I mean, I will literally, I'll go on social media a couple times a day to check notifications and messages or once a day at least. But well, I don't even get on there every day, but I will go to my feed, which is where we can get lost, you know, and I'll literally set a timer for 10 minutes or five minutes just to do something like that. Otherwise, because I don't want to end up going, what happened to 45 minutes of my life? That wasn't in the schedule today. So I love what you said, all that to say that just a couple of practical things that maybe we share in common and just a little more perspective on what I do. But I love that what you're sharing is set up framework, set up systems, set up accountability, set up something to protect your attention. Otherwise, hours every week, which is really years of our life are lost, right? That's huge. And that's timers is a phenomenal system. I use timers all the time, not necessarily in, in the social media, like limiting, but that's a good point. What I do is when I got a project that I needed to work on that I want to get into that flow state, that human, like peak my human performance flow state where I'm undistracted, I'll set a timer for 20 or 30 minutes. And as long, my rule to myself is as long as that timer is going, I cannot allow myself to do anything else. Granted, if, you know, if somebody walks up or something, that's a different story. I'll, you know, I'll take a break to be able to address whatever, you know, whatever is somebody that wants, which again, for that, here's a, here's a good tip. When somebody walks by, stand up and look at them. Because if you're just sitting down, there's been studies on this, they're more likely to stay there and talk to you longer than if they oh. realize that by them talking to you has inconvenienced you to, to stand up. And people will actually ask me, they're like, oh, you don't, you don't need to stand up. And I'm like, no, I do, because I want to give you my attention while we're talking and then be able to sit down and get back to it. And what that does is, A, for me, that puts me into the mode of, okay, I'm going to stop my other work right now, and I'm going to pay my attention to whoever's in front of me for whatever couple minutes, address what's going on with them. But then for them, it does the exact same thing. It's like, oh, I better get to the point and you know, be specific about the attention that I'm paying to Wes so that then I can let him get back and I can get back to, to whatever else I was, I was doing. So that's, that's a good tip that I've used for years now. And that works like a champ stand up, face the person that you're talking to complete the conversation and then sit down and get back, get back to it. But back to the timer thing. Another thing that it does is it offloads the mental load on us to have to decide how much time I'm going to spend on it and when to get distracted that mental load goes away and it frees up your mind and your attention to focus specifically on whatever's in front of you, whatever's important enough in front of you to set a timer for it. I think it's, it's great and I highly recommend it. And that's awesome that you use that for social media. That's, I'm off to, off to start using it for things like that as well. Man, that's so good, Wes. This has been awesome, man. You, you've, you've just shared some really valuable stuff already that is just going to be so helpful to so many of our listeners because this is so relevant. It this is, is yes. I mean, I cannot think of a much more of a relevant conversation to be having today. 
So I just want to thank you. I know, I know I've got Absolutely. a few more questions for you as we start to wind this down, but I just want to say thank you. This, been, this is great, great stuff. Just speaking generally, you know, about success and at 32 years old, 10 years in the Air Force, fighter pilot, top of your class, crushing your other parts of your life, family, you know, spiritually, your health, running marathons in 324 or whatever you said. I mean, just took it off. By the way, that's, that's less than it. Okay. Well, well, hey, that's less than an eight minute pace. That's just for our listeners. Is, that's yes, like a seven is. minute. Imagine running a seven minute and roughly 50 second minute mile and holding that pace for 26.2 miles. It's a thing. It's, that it's, was back it's in college. I was, I was in real good physical condition back then. <laughs> oh, real good. Like you're not now. Uh, if you could see this guy. All right. You're an old 32-year-old. All right. Well, anyway, yeah. hey, what would you say if you could go back in time and just give yourself, you're not, I know you're not that old yet, but I'm sure there's something you'd love to have known when you were younger. So for all our listeners, what would one of those things be that you'd love to share with yourself, you know, 10, 20 years ago, if you could? I think there's, there's two things. One of them is enjoy the ride. There was so many times, I, I say that kind of literally, but, you know, really big picture wise, enjoy the ride, enjoy where you're going and what it takes to get there. Take, take some time to sit there and enjoy the moment. It was not until I had already been flying the F-15. I'd gone all the way through pilot training and it was, had already flown the F-15 for probably, you know, four, three or four months before I actually took a minute in the cockpit to sit there and just look outside and enjoy being in a cockpit of a fighter jet and having a once in a lifetime experience and get to do it, you know, a couple times a week. But it took, it was probably, you know, so two and a half years into my flying journey that I, had the presence of mind and allowed myself to, to just enjoy the moment because I was so I was so caught up in oh I need to perform because I need to get good grades because you know I need to pass this this flight and was just overstressing in a lot of different ways. And it applies today too. Enjoy the moment of getting down on the floor and, and rolling around on the floor with with your kids. It's not an inconvenience to do that. You that is what you're going to remember the next day, the next week. That's what your kids are going to mm. remember the next day, the next week. So enjoy the moment. But number two is just go for it. I tend to talk myself out of a lot of things because I am a perfectionist. And if I don't think I can do it perfectly, I'm more likely to just uh, not for me than to just go for it and try it. And lately, that's been a big thing that I've been working on is just go for it. See what happens. If you like it, you like it. Great. You wouldn't if you'd never tried it, you would have never known that this was something that you enjoyed. And if you don't, well, that's an experience and probably you'll learn something out of it. And if anything else, you know that that thing is not for you. But yeah, just just go for it and enjoy it along the way is, is two things that I wish I would have told, told myself. And I, that's something I'll need to continue telling myself. I know that. Yeah, th- that's really, that's a lot of wisdom right there. And I, I agree with both of those points. So good. Wish I would have learned both of those things much, much younger. Do you have a favorite success quote that you might be willing to share? Yes. Jim Rohn, success is something. Rohn. Yeah, success is something you attract by the person you become, and that's that's another piece of advice. I think it was it's Darren Hardy who says that, which Darren Hardy's mentor was Jim Rohn, so it makes sense. He says that the person that you want to be, you need to make the investments into yourself at the level of the the place that you want to be, and you know whether that's courses or degrees or or time and money in a mastermind group or whatever it is, 
make an investment at the level of where you want to be, not with what you can afford now or what you could afford on you know half your salary years ago, which I think is what most people probably do. The return on investment, it's tough to, you know, a lot of us want to, especially the the more um, you know, I, I know what my expenses are. I, I want to see an exact return on investment, the analytical type. Okay, yeah. I don't know if I invest time and effort and money into this, I don't know if I'm gonna get a return. You gotta get away from that thinking because yeah, some things might not have a good return on investment, but a lot of things will have an outsized return on investment that you won't even realize for many, many years, potentially. But if you're not doing those, and if you're not making those investments at a level well above you, or the level that that you want to get to, then you're never going to get there. And that makes sense to me from the analytical side is, yeah, if if I'm not making the investments to get to the place where I want to be, then I'm probably not going to get there. 100%. I'll just add that I wish I would have sought out mentors and coaches and joined masterminds decades before I finally did. And just the exponential growth that's happened by being in the same room with people that are much smarter than me and much better than me and much further along in various areas of life. It's so critical. I love that. What would you say is one habit that's helped you in your success, Wes? Putting success in my way. That concept, it helps a lot in the tactical levels, but it also helps in kind of the more strategic levels. When I think of putting success in my way, it can be as little as I need to not forget this thing to take to work tomorrow. So. I put it in the car so I physically can't forget it when I get to work tomorrow. But as big as at the strategic level, putting success in my way, kind of like what, what I was just talking about, about making the investments, you know, start meeting the people that are where you want to be. That's putting success in your way because, because you are rubbing shoulders with the level of, of person or, or whatever it is of where you want to go. So the concept of it, it, I mean, the vector, coming back to the vector, you know, where you, you know where you are, you know where I want to be. So keep going in that direction and take bigger and bigger steps. And, and as you're setting your life up, your systems up, your habits up, when you're setting those up, keep in mind where you want to be in the future. That is a habit. And I think there's many ways that you can apply that. But as a general kind of concept of setting up environment and habits, that is probably the biggest thing. Ah, so good. This is good stuff, man. I mean, I practical things. I mean, I don't know if you want to share one or two that you do, but I was thinking as you're talking, I take my gym clothes, my workout clothes, and they are set out the night before exactly where I'm going to be walking to the bathroom, right to go change. I've got my my nighttime supplements by my bed. I've got my morning time supplements right where I'm going to go in the kitchen. I mean, Things are set. That's what I was thinking of when you said that. I guess those are examples and there's many, many others, right? Mm-hmm. Of setting success. How'd you say it? Set success in your yeah, way. Yeah, put success in your way. That's a Rob, That's from Rob Hatch. I did not come up with that. Uh, there's another guy that came up with that. I don't think it's trademarked or anything, but put success in your way. Love it. So good. What's one book that you might recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? I, I was thinking of Compound Effect when you were talking about Darren Hardy and thinking all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, when you first started talking, I felt like when I asked you, what's the key to your success? I mean, it was like what you shared was like, man, it's consistency, right? And it's that consistent effort compounding made me think of his book and you mentioned him, but that's a great book. But what is one book that you might recommend to the listeners today? Compound Effect is a good book. The one that always comes to mind is Atomic Habits by James Clear. I've read that book, I think three times. Not to make it a Bible, but I think it's it's because it addresses such a basic 
level of, you know, a system level that you can set up in your life because it is our lives are made up of habits. Most of the habits are probably not bad habits, but probably not good habits. And they're habits. And it's amazing how quickly habits can form and how quickly you can shatter a good habit and revert back to a bad habit. But that book is great because he goes a lot into kind of the why humans are such habitual creatures, as well as then how to just set up life and point everything in the direct, you know, setting up your your systems, your habits, which is essentially your your human system uh, in the direction that you want to go. Atomic habits. Wow, yeah, that that's a great one. I mean, think I think we you're over sixty some odd interviews, and that book may yeah, I'm not have come up more than two I'm or three surprised. times over yeah. the sixty. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great book. So if our listeners haven't read that, I ditto that recommendation. What would you say is Wes Woodhouse's definition of success? You ever think about that? I think it's my definition has changed over the years, and it's probably become more and more immaterial ever since having kids but i think living always living and striving to to maximize your potential as a god created human being with the talents and strengths that god has given you i think that is success when you're putting in effort and you're maximizing your strengths and your talents for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven for the growth and development of my kids, for the growth and development of myself and my wife, for, for those around me. I think that is, that is what success is. And I think that's what, what the Lord would want for, it does want for us is to not waste what we've been given here on earth. Love it. Yeah. Be a good steward of what we've been given. So well said. What, when you think about the future, Wes, last couple of questions, what excites you today? Like when you think about moving forward tomorrow and every day thereafter? I'm excited to, uh, I've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a five-month-old right now. And I'm excited just to continue to watch them grow into their own little people and excited to be able to, to be on that journey along with them. And I'm also excited. I'm in a place, this is a whole other podcast, I'm in a place where I don't know what the future is going to hold over the next couple of years. There's a crossroads that's coming up for me career-wise. And so in a lot of ways, it's stressful, but in a lot of ways, I'm excited to see whatever's on the other side of that. Uh, It could be a lot of fun. Hopefully, it will be a lot of fun. There could be some pain along the way. Who knows what God has in store, but I'm excited to to find out. So that's what's coming up for me. That's what excites me. Love it. What's the best way for our listeners to connect with you and contact you, follow along on your journey, maybe learn more about your business, mastermind, or whatever else they might want to learn? I'm on social media, but I'm really not on social media. So <laughs> social media is not, not a great one because I will probably be possibly months in responding to you. But my website, westwoodhouse.com is probably the best way to go that, or I've got my email address up there as well as a way to uh, schedule a a quick phone call with me and, and get to know you and get to know me and see how we can benefit each other's futures. Perfect, Wes. And we'll, um, for our listeners, we'll have that email or that website, westwoodhouse.com in the show notes below. So you can grab that there. Wes, this has been awesome. As I said before, I'm going to give you the, the closing comment. Any final words you might want to share with our Life's Hard Succeed Anyway listeners today? Absolutely. Alan, thanks for having me on. This, this has been great. I paying attention. The, the term pay attention, it's in the Bible. 
we hear it all the time, the classic teacher in front of the room, pay attention. But when you think about that term, it is so true. I am paying you right now, Alan, my attention and have been for the last 40 minutes. You're paying your attention right now to me. The audience who's listening is paying their attention. They could be doing anything else, but they're spending the time listening to you and I chat and talk about success and what that means. We're paying attention. It is a transaction. When you're scrolling the feeds, you are paying your attention to those feeds and they're making money off of you. When I am rolling around on the floor with my kids, I am paying my attention to them and they are receiving my attention. So it's kind of harsh to look at it as a transaction, but I think in a lot of ways, it's it kind of is enlightening looking at your attention in the terms of a transaction. Mm. So my challenge is when you're paying your attention, which you're doing all the time, pay it where it matters. Be intentional with your attention. Uh, so good. I've never heard anyone say it that way before, Wes, and I love it. We're paying our mm-hmm. attention to somebody or something. Pay it to something or something that matters. Man, that's good. Wes has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Alan. This has been a pleasure. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.